your full name, please? First name is Taiwo. My surname is Ayeto. Are you an African living in the diaspora and thinking of going back home to start your own business? This podcast is for you. My name is Wamaka Okoye. During the lockdown of 2020, I interviewed a series of Nigerian entrepreneurs who returned from the diaspora to start their own businesses. These interviews were over the telephone because we were locked down and they have been put together in this podcast called Going Home. As a student, Taiwa Yeju discovered the credit reporting system in the United States after he was declined for a loan based on an unpaid credit card bill. Digging deeper, he connected the dots between credit reporting, access to credit, and the American consumer economy. When he compared it to the lack of access to credit experienced back home in Nigeria, he decided to leave his job at Microsoft and go back home to change the system by introducing consumer credit reporting. After many policy and legislative hurdles, he founded Credit Registry, which claims to be the largest credit reporting bureau in Nigeria. Taiwo shares his journey of determination and doggedness in the face of obstacles, as well as his innovative family arrangements to make his journey back home a rewarding reality. Highest educational qualification? Bachelor's degree in computer science. Oh, really? So, what country were you resident in before you moved back home? I was a resident in the United States and I still maintain residency in the United States. I just decided to start a business in Nigeria. So, where did you go to school? Study computer science. Did you study it in the US or in Nigeria? I started out attending UNM, Mechanical Engineering, yeah. But my passion had always been in the aviation. But there's no like real aviation program in Nigeria. Yes. The one in Zaria, the one in Zaria, I don't think it's it's world class enough. But, it's not. Mm. Yeah. So I said, okay, let me just go ahead and do uh, mechanical engineering. I think after the first semester, I came back home. This time around, I took the chamber over again and went to the rest of Lagos to read computer science. My intention all along was to eventually go to the United States to study aerospace engineering, which I eventually did. But then again, while I was in my aerospace engineering course, I found the, the, the allure of software more exciting. So eventually quit my aerospace program and mm. went back again to study computer wow. science uh, twice. Why did you come back? There's actually many things. Okay. When I was living in the United States, a lot of things became so apparent to me. One of the things that I experienced, especially when I was in college, Chase Bank was used to giving students uh, credit cards. So they gave me a credit card of $500. But what was interesting to me was when I graduated and I went to buy furniture, I actually went with my cash. And the furniture store, oh, you know, Mr. Yedon, we, we can offer you in-store credit. I didn't really understand what it meant. Mm-hmm. We would have you take the furniture home. You just pay a little bit and you pay a little bit until you pay it off. We have to do a credit check, and I gave them my social security number. They did a check, and they, and they declined. My loan offer was declined. We're sorry, Mr. Aiden, we can't offer you install credit today. So I paid cash. And about three days later, I received a letter in the mail from uh, one of the major credit bureaus. Mm-hmm. According to U.S. law, if someone utilizes information from a credit bureau to deny you credit, they must tell you why that letter was telling me that 
charge them mm. to decline the credit. What the heck? They have some information about me, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That piqued my interest. That began the journey of piecing things together. I was a consultant after I graduated from college. Mm. I was actually making close to $100,000. Mm. Around that time, I felt like things were coming a bit too easy. At such a fairly young age, I was already doing fairly well. So I applied for a job at Microsoft and then moved to Seattle with my family. And when I go to Microsoft, I realized that, well, they have a lot of smart people here. They don't really need me to do the hard work. Around this time also, this was during a bachelor's time. People were concerned about Nigeria, things weren't going on that was good. And so we were all trying to think of ideas and how to solve the problem. And then the experiences I had had in college, getting credit card, being declined credit, those things began to crystallize in my mind that maybe one of the ways we can solve Nigeria's problem is not to look to government, but to see how we can help the private sector. So on a personal level, a lot of things meshed together mm-hmm. in terms of my own personal aspiration to stay excited and challenged. The fact that potentially I can go solve a big problem in Nigeria, mm-hmm. which is in this case lending. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to marry biometrics as a solution mm-hmm. for banks to be able to identify their customers. I first came back to Nigeria in 2000. Spoke to one bank here, they showed some interest. When I left Nigeria back to the United States, I got feedback that TransUnion, one of the big credit bureaus, mm-hmm. had others obviously in Nigeria um, around that time, mm-hmm. and they were looking to work with Nigerian banks. So that actually put more fire mm-hmm. uh, on them to act much, much more quickly. So I came here to Nigeria in February to do a pilot. I ran into a group of risk managers and in the banking sector. One of them were interested in partnering with a private creditor. I did small pilots with more banks. That's when Nigeria had like 89 banks. And then um, we incorporated a company in Nigeria in mm-hmm. 2003, January. It was a long journey, really, and it would not have been possible without uh, primarily my wife. Because while I was trying to get a business off the ground, she was the only one working and supporting the business. What I was trying to do was to change an entire industry. Mm-hmm. And that industry was not used to sharing information the way I wanted them to share information. And also, I wasn't a big company like Oracle or Microsoft. Who are you? Why should we entrust our data to you? This is something that big companies do. What kept me going was I realized that whether Nigeria likes it or not, like every other successful democracy or successful uh, economy, you cannot have that kind of economy without consumer credit because consumer credit is what stimulates buying and selling. Because most people, they don't earn enough to buy everything they need, like housing, like vehicles. But if they have credit, they can buy more houses, they can buy more cars, and especially if those things are manufactured locally, they're going to create a lot of employment. So those calculations were what kept me going. I wanted to achieve success in helping more Nigerians get access to credit. That was my overriding goal. I felt like if I did that, Nigeria would begin to improve after the government's policies and craftiness and things like that. You mentioned that during the first six years you, you had come income, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that your wife was very supportive. Was she in the U.S. all that while? Like, what was the structural arrangement like during yeah, the period? My family was in the United States and I was shuttled back and forth. But in 2008, IBTC helped us to raise money. And after we raised that money, I told my wife that, you know, she should come and join me. Did you have to convince her about the vision? She was on board because my wife is an adventurer. Um, 
She really believed in the dream, the vision. Even though she's American, she sort of like had a vision of Africa as as motherland. So she really was intrigued by the whole idea of going to make an impact. So she was supportive and she still is. She's the one now that is driven the business to much, much greater heights than, than I ever could. She's a better manager than I am. I'm more of a techie. I love the privacy of just thinking about software and solving mm-hmm. problems. Fantastic. So your children, when did they go back? Our oldest kid went back, actually, so he only spent one year in Nigeria. Okay. So he, he just in 2008, and in 2009, he went back to the United States to complete high school and college. Then my our two youngest ones, they stayed back with us here for five years. Okay. Before they both, they both went back to finish okay. high school. Okay. And they're in college now. Our two youngest ones are in college. Oh, great. Nice. Yeah. Okay. What impact does the chemical climate and the policies have on your business? I underestimated the impact of government policies on every facet of life in Nigeria. The government is still the biggest spender in the country, so when they don't spend, everybody suffers. I had thought that the banking sector somehow would be able to move independently of government, mm-hmm. but that is not the case. A lot of the Nigerian banks, except for very few, a lot of the majority of them still depend on government spending. And so to that extent, there's still so much risk averse in terms of doing consumer credit. Um, they are trying to step out of their comfort zone because of competition from fintech companies. The way the CBN tries to protect the banks and, you know, let them get away with charging all these fees. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it basically provides standardized fees that they can charge mm-hmm. as a mandate. They would try to change what the charges are, but at the end of the day, they're still charging something by fiat, mm-hmm. as opposed to whereby a bank can say, you know what, I'll give you this, this service, I won't charge this, I'll make my money elsewhere. That, to me, has made the banks, to me, kind of like being a comfort zone where they're not really willing to take risks, you know, because those fees they're charging mm-hmm. without providing much more value, yeah. those fees really allow them to be comfortable and pay their shelter, so they're not going to take any risk, and that's yeah. a challenge. It would be unwise to actually take the risk, and those are taken yeah, yeah. burned. Exactly. In fact, yeah, I told myself that if I were in the shoes of a bank CEO, what would I do? Mm. I would take the risk as well. However, mm. one of the ways that we think that um, we can help the banks begin to not even take risks, but to look at other ways to make money, is for us to really help them do it. Mm. And if they, if they taste it and they're realizing that, okay, it's getting better and better, they're making more money, mm. then all of them will shift towards that area as well. So we have some work to do to prove to the banks that they can make money. And some of them are already trying to do it by themselves, by the way. Yeah, they are really trying. The issues you found with the policy, the government policies, are there any specific creative strategies that you use to solve those challenges? My approach all along has been never to engage with government because you're being a politician at that point, working with different politicians to do things that will favor you, and then another politician comes in and changes the policy. I just feel like, you know, let me just work within the confines of whatever comes around. But we have been very fortunate, though, that somehow the right policies have come. The central bank, despite the fact that they're part of government, they have been very instrumental in making our business susceptible to the bank. Because the banks, despite all the preaching and marketing we did, somehow they still didn't see the value of sharing credit information until the central bank mandated it. As a result of CBN efforts, I think a lot of the banks have now made uh, the use of credit as part of their uh, processes. So, so governments in that sense have helped. Now we have an act of federal law that now guides credit reporting. This thing allows any business, doesn't have to be a bank, if you, if you issue an invoice to your customer and 
and they have to pay you a day or two or 15 days, 15 days later, you can utilize the service of the credit bureau. If you're a landlord, you can report your tenants who owe you money to a credit bureau. If you are a school and you have parents owing you tuition and they refuse to pay, they take their words out of school, they go to another school, you can report the parents to a credit bureau. Do you take like a percentage or you charge for the search or for the listing? What do you do? How does the credit bureau work? Yeah, primarily because of um, confidentiality and privacy issues, mm -hmm. the bureau necessarily wants to work with businesses as opposed to individuals. So like because if I wanted to get credit, sorry, I would pay. You know, my company would pay to um, work with credit registry. If you have customers who are owing you unpaid invoices, mm -hmm. then you can register as a credit information supplier. So you can become a credit information supplier and a user. That means that you can supply information, you can also buy information as well. Mm -hmm. You don't pay to report information. Okay. So somebody owes you money, you know, and you have a contract to prove that actually mm -hmm. you owe you money, mm -hmm. then you can report it. And you can also say, okay, for every customer you're going to onboard and give an invoice, you want to do a credit check on them, and sometimes you can pass on the cost to them, sometimes you can, depends on how your business is structured. And if you do a check and you find that they have a habit of not paying their obligation, mm -hmm. you can decide that you want cash up front. So you can have a credit policy in the organization that treats customers based on their credit worthiness. From the story you have told me, you know, your, your story, you came into the country when something did not exist. The laws in place did not exist and you hung in for, for a long time with, you know, almost no money coming from that, really just fueled by your belief. And I guess maybe some people also echoing those beliefs. A lot of things really happen out of my control, mm -hmm. I gotta say. So somehow, I feel like I this invisible hand mm. that sort of gave me the passion, yes. uh, the ability to, to make the sacrifice. Yes. Because all the, all the time that I had Microsoft, mm -hmm. I was not making money personally and doing this. Mm -hmm. um, I was enjoying the work and I had a supportive family. So those are those are pure luck yes. things, yes. good fortune, uh, I would say. And then, mm -hmm. and then the fact that I met someone at IBTC who said, oh, we're going to raise money for you. And we raised money just in time. So when I look at the story, I, I find myself quite fortunate. In other words, it's, it's hindsight. You, you, you didn't know that those, for sure, that the legislation would be changed when it did. It was not probable that Stambic IBTC would support you. A lot of things were not probable or likely, and yet they happened. So before those things happened, I'm just imagine the amount of courage you would have yeah. had. So I wouldn't give advice to anybody. <laughs> um, in my case, I was extremely stubborn. It helps, right? It helps that I had a real passion. During my research, when I was starting my company, because I, I really did a lot of research in the United States, the Purdue University in Lafayette, mm. they have a department that focuses a lot of efforts on understanding the impact of credit in the United States. In the United States, the spending that Americans spend based on consumer and mortgage credit accounts for 67% of the U.S. GDP. If American banks mm. were not giving Americans credit cards and mortgages, if American banks are not doing that, the U.S. economy will fall by 67%. Mm. So that, what, that, what that means is that it's very instructive. Mm. It means that for a government that is interested in growing its economy, mm. it needs to focus on its consumer credit, credit sector. Hmm. So what are three most important things you would advise someone starting a business in Nigeria to know or do? It's very important to, first of all, you have to know that you have a market for the service of goods you 
people should avoid based on what you experienced? I do know that about the same time that I came to Nigeria, which was like 2002, 2003, I do know that that was when uh, Obafemi was president. He was inviting Nigerians to, the Nigerians and diaspora to come up. I know one who that came to Nigeria at that time, but that one focused, that were more, more into the social lifestyle. I think a lot of them got distracted. So I think what I wouldn't do is to come to Nigeria for the purpose of socializing alone, just mm-hmm. having a good time. Mm-hmm. I think people do get carried away with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can really affect a business. I don't have a lot of advice to give because I realized that what drives everybody is different. And I don't think you can manufacture focus. I mean, you have to really want to do it. I've read books that say that it's great commitment for the long haul that is important. Thank you for listening to this episode of Going Home. To listen to other conversations with people who have returned home to Africa, subscribe to our channel now. For access to more resources on going back home to settle, please subscribe to our newsletter at goinghome.gearshiftafrica.com or send us an email at goinghome at gearshiftafrica.com. You may also follow my Instagram handle at Wamaka Okoye.